0: Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. First Peter chapter five. If you can turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter five, we are currently doing a series um, in uh, this wonderful letter, and um, we have two Sundays to go: this one and next. And uh, um, it's been a—I've certainly enjoyed preaching the series. So, um, First Peter chapter five. This uh, this wonderful letter is um, uh, th- uh, this. Uh, it, it 's about god 's heart uh, for those who are struggling through difficult times. Peter writes this letter to five local churches that are now in um, what we know to be modern day Turkey, and these churches are living as radical Christ followers in a way that is countercultural, and because of that, they are being persecuted and maligned and marginalized and facing hostility because of their faith. Uh, throughout the letter, Peter writes to this, you know, these people in the churches, and he refers to them as exiles and as foreigners and as strangers because they're not, they, li- they are living in the world, but they understand that their citizenship is in heaven. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. I think this is a reality that uh, I think there are more people here that understand this reality, a daily concept of what it means to to live in the world but not of the world. I know some of you here as educators know that it is your heart's desire to want to bring faith into the conversation, but you know that you can't. You're not even allowed to bring it into the syllabus as well, Uh, and I know there are medical professionals here who carry the conviction that it is God who ultimately saves and God who ultimately heals, but it's against hospital policy to be able to raise those issues. There are business professionals here who face a world where morals and ethics are defined by the importance of getting the deal done. And so there are many of us, including those of us who've been set aside or marginalized from these small community groups in our our neighborhoods because of our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. whether this is happening to you now or whether this has happened to you, or one, day, this is an important letter because this will happen to all of us at some point. That's why this letter is so encouraging and so important to us. Peter establishes three very important truths as we, as we have learned over the last few weeks. The first thing that he has taught us is what God has done for us through his son Jesus. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that in his great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He carries on in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house. So what has God done for us? Well, firstly, Jesus is the living hope that saves us. But Jesus is also the living hope that Jesus is the living hope that saves us. Sorry, and He is the living stone that secures and settles us in the face of opposition. This is the good news of the gospel. And last week I, I spoke about the importance of the word "must." Uh, in American culture, it's not helpful to use such direct language and say you must do this or you must do that. And last week I gave a biblical precedent for why it's, 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 it's important biblical language. And I want to say, in the context of knowing what Jesus has done for us, we must, we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We must not get too comfortable with the incredible truths of the gospel. When I say not too comfortable, don't become so familiar that it becomes secondhand information. Every day I want to wake up and marvel at the reality that God through his son Jesus Christ has poured out his grace and goodness into my life. And I am a changed person because of it. Secondly, the second thing that we learn from Peter is because of what Jesus has done, we are now a different people. We are someone new, something different. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine and 10. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, once you had no identity, but now your identity is that you and I are the people of God. Once we didn't understand mercy, but now we are those who've received God's mercy. And again, I want to say this is another must. We must adjust to the reality of who we are in Jesus. The Christian walk, friends, is not about do's and don'ts. The Christian walk primarily is adjusting our lives to the reality of who we are in Jesus. It's becoming who we already are. And in in the light of Peter establishing these two essential truths, what God has done for us through his son and who we are in Jesus because of what God has done, the third thing that he introduces to us is how we should live. And essentially, Peter's teaching is this, that he encourages us to, to so show the love and grace and mercy and goodness and patience and kindness of Jesus to others. To so reflect Jesus in and through our lives, that even if people persecute us for our convictions, if God were to move on their lives, they would recognize that it is God moving because they've already seen Jesus in you and me. And that's Peter's essential teaching, which takes him from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, all the way through to the end of chapter 4, which brings us to chapter 5, the section that we're going to be looking at this morning. And he's wrapping up his letter, and he's leaving us some important final thoughts for us to think about and for us to consider. And the one that we're going to focus on this morning is verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. So let's read together. He says... Be alert and of sober mind. Be alert and of sober mind. Let me just pause there for a moment. This is now the second time that Peter is actually using these words for us to be alert and of sober mind. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He writes this: with minds that are that are alert and fully sober, set your hope and fix your eyes on Jesus' return. What he is saying in First Peter chapter 1 is, is with great determination and, and intentionality. Fix your eyes, be alert, be of sober mind, fix your eyes on the reality that Jesus is returning. And with that same intentionality and and that same uh, uh, focus, he's saying to us right now, be alert and of sober mind, why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. I mentioned last week that it is really difficult sometimes for us to live in a countercultural manner. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we, we all want to respond to, to evil and injustice with grace and kindness and mercy. But sometimes it's it's difficult to do that because when we do the right thing, it's never acknowledged. But the moment we do the wrong thing, the moment we 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 say something in anger or we get frustrated with somebody, the world labels us for the hypocrites that they always assumed or presumed that we that, that that we were. It's very difficult to to live in the world as these Christ followers. But I think if we're honest with ourselves as well, this external opposition is sometimes easier to face than the opposition that is less dramatic. And that is less obvious, but it is more systematic and more specifically honed in on us. The, the attack that comes from the devil that, that gets to the very heart of who we are in Jesus and what God has called us to. Someone wrote, once wrote these words, the devil doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh, but he leaves lies in your heart. The devil has no authority or ability to convert or to change a Christ follower into an evil person. He's got no authority or ability to do that. But what he does is he magnifies and he manipulates situations. Situations that we find ourselves in as a consequence maybe of our weakness or sin. Situations that we find ourselves in because of what someone has said to us or something that someone has done to us, or even situations created by God's dealings in our lives. He takes these situations, and he takes advantage of these situations when we begin to agree with his perspective on those situations. He bombards us with accusation and and temptation. He's hoping to find something in our hearts, something like doubt or fear, or bitterness, or independence, or hard-heartedness, or unforgiveness. He's, he's, He's hoping to find something like that that will resonate with his lies. If there's one truth you take home today, take home this truth. When we begin to agree with the devil's lies, we start to question the word of God. When we begin to agree with the devil's lies, we start to question the very word of God. And that was the devil's attack and strategy from the very beginning. His his question to Adam is still the same question he asks you and I today Did God really say? Did God really say? The context in which we are teaching at the moment, out of 1 Peter chapter 5, is this idea that we are persecuted for our faith in Jesus. That it is very uh, uh, easy if we live in a countercultural way for us to be sidelined and maligned, for our faith and our, and our convictions are set aside, and we're we're often excluded or made fun of. But I know this is not the only lane that the devil uses to oppose us or attack us. As one of the elders in this church, I know that there are people here going through equally challenging, if not more challenging, struggles in what it means to be malign for our faith. Some of us here are, face, are facing significant health issues. Some of us here are facing a toxic work environment, a financial crisis, a sense of inadequacy or, 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 or feeling lonely. Some of you are carrying fear and anxiety that you haven't told other people about. Some of you here are facing uh, you know issues within your own family uh, with 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 people that are meant to love you but are but, but are are not and i want to say that 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 these these challenges that we face are not challenges that we are immune to as an eldership team i've been through we've been through th- these very issues over the last few weeks and we are we are standing here trying to understand trying to grasp the word of god not not having fully perfectly worked out everything that i'm going to preach but saying to each of you that we are in it with you, we are facing these challenges with you, and we are tr- trusting with you to come to that place of breakthrough where we are able to stand firm in the word of the Lord. I'm gonna be sharing some things that some of you have heard me teach before. It's gonna be packaged in a different way, but these are, are truths that I've had to myself go back to over these last four weeks as I've felt challenged, challenged and opposed by the devil. I've had to remind myself of these truths. And so I wanna bring this morning a, a reminder to each of us of how the devil attacks us, but more importantly, how do we respond when the, when the devil attacks? There are three things that we're gonna look at from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse eight and nine. Firstly, the devil is real. Secondly, he robs our faith. And then lastly, we must, there's that word again, we must resist him. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. I'm not proposing that we should. I am saying, the Bible says, we must resist the devil. Firstly, the devil is real. The devil is real, and can I say, therefore, opposition is inevitable. Don't be surprised if you're, if you're taking steps in God. Don't be surprised if you're, if you're growing in the things of God, and the devil arrives on the scene to oppose you. The devil is real and opposition is inevitable. Peter says there in verse eight, your enemy, the devil. I wrote this down. The battle is on and we are at war. Satan lies and undermines the goodness of God. He harasses us with sickness. He tempts us to sin. He fills us with fear. He blinds us to truth. He snatches away the word when it is planted as a seed. He promotes hypocrisy. He accuses, condemns, and discourages. He brings persecution. He fosters disunity. He sows false doctrines, and he masquerades as the angel of light. Jesus teaches about this in John chapter 10. Jesus' teaching does not say the devil will come to annoy and to irritate and to distract. He says that the, that the enemy comes to steal, to rob, to kill. And to destroy. The devil is real and opposition is inevitable. The second thing we're going to look at is that he robs our faith. In verse 8, Peter carries on. He He says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The strategy of the devil is simple, friends. It's to try to get us to agree with his lies. The devil has only the amount of authority he has according to our agreement with his lies. That's the degree of authority he has. When we agree with his lies, we are giving him authority to begin to act and move and manipulate situations in our hearts and in our lives. As I said earlier, when we begin to agree with the devil's lies, we start to question the word of God. So I want to look at some very practical things now, practical ways that the devil tries to rob our faith and tries to elicit our agreement with his lies. I'm going to take some of these examples from 1 Samuel 17. Don't turn there, but 1 Samuel 17 tells the account of David God's chosen one to ultimately become king of Israel. He's currently a shepherd boy. He's been anointed and he is the future king of Israel. And 1 Samuel 17 tells the account of David fighting against the Philistines, fighting specifically against Goliath, this giant of a Philistine who was opposing the people of God. I'm going to mention five or six ways that the devil tries to elicit our agreement. And I want you to listen to these things because... I think you will recognize some of the strategies that the devil uses. And even if you don't, make note of them because I know he will use these strategies. The devil is not creative, but he is consistent. He's not creative, but he is consistent. So if we, if we become aware of his strategies, we'll know how to respond. How does he elicit our agreement and rob our faith? Firstly, by magnifying the situation that you're facing by magnifying the situation that you're facing. How did David view Goliath? He viewed him exactly as he was, an uncircumcised Philistine. But how did Israel view Goliath? Listen to what the message, uh, this is is what the message paraphrase says of this particular passage of, of how Israel viewed Goliath. He was a giant, nearly 10 feet tall, he wore a bronze helmet on his head. He was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze spear. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. The point is this. When the devil paints the picture of the situation that we're faced, it's dressed up and it's distorted. He magnifies the situation. When our building purchase fell through, we were very close to purchasing a building as a church. And the thing that stopped us purchasing that building was the alderman not allowing us to get zoning change. And for three weeks after that, I had convinced myself that it wasn't just one alderman who was who was not approving a zoning change. I was convinced the entire city of Chicago was against the idea of a church owning its own building. And I I said to myself, it is impossible for us ever to own a place. Exactly. In Jesus' name it is. Because that's what the devil does. He dresses up a situation and he distorts the truth. He magnifies the situation. How does the devil elicit Our agreement and rob our faith. Joe, I love that encouragement. Amen in Jesus' name. How does he elicit our agreement and rob our faith? Secondly, he earths or he grounds the situation that you're facing. What I mean by that is simply this the devil makes us painfully aware of our human limitations, he makes us painfully aware of our weaknesses. You see, David knew Israel. David understood Israel were were the servants of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. But Goliath called Israel the servants of Saul, just a mere man. He grounds the situation generally by getting us to react out of emotion. You see, when we react to a situation out of fear or out of disappointment or out of hurt or out of bitterness, We never react in the spirit of God. It's always with our own wisdom and our own understanding. And can I tell you, friends, because I know this to be true, we fail every time. Don't let the devil ground the situation where we are playing on his terms. How does he elicit our agreement and rob our faith? He isolates us from others in the midst of the situation that you're facing. Yesterday at the men's meeting, Philip Christ shared with us and he came up with this outstanding comment he said this he said the single banana the one that's away from the bunch will always be peeled first take that to the bank friends that is truthful (laughs) and this morning this morning when I made my protein smoothie for breakfast I literally went my goodness the one I'm going for is the single banana I'm going to peel that one first But that's the devil's strategy. The devil distorts the love of God by making us think we're alone in our struggle. He makes us think, you are the only Christian who could ever think those thoughts. You're the only one who's dealing with that issue. Don't share with anyone else. They're never going to understand. We've raised three children. Those of you who are parents will know this to be true. Whenever your children, when they are young, trip and fall and graze their knee, what is the first thing they do once they stand up? They stand up with tears streaming down their face, and they run towards their parents. They run to family. But for some reason, Christians do the exact opposite. Christians stumble and fall in their walk with God, and the thing they do is they turn away from family and community and run to be alone and sit there and think to themselves, I'm going to to test this family to see how much they really love me. And every day that you don't receive a text message, and every day you don't receive a phone call, you are playing into the devil's hands. Don't isolate yourself. Don't let the devil isolate you. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. How does he elicit our agreement and rob our faith? By constantly reminding us of the situation. First Samuel 17 tells us Goliath stood up and for 40 days, every morning and every night, he taunted the Israelites. And how many of you know that to be true? When you're in the midst of a situation every day and every night, you cannot get these thoughts out of your mind. Lastly, how does the devil elicit our agreement and rob our faith? And I think this is the most important one of all. He questions our identity in Jesus and with it, our ability to hear God's word. Who are you, Goliath asked David. If you are the son of God, the devil accused or said to Jesus, and even the question that the devil asked Adam, did God really say? The essence of that question is rooted in identity and worth and value found in God. David was clear. I love David's response. His boast was in the Lord. He says essentially, Goliath, you, you might be boasting in your strength. You might be boasting in your, in your ability. But he says this, I am he who comes in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel. You see, when we begin to agree with the devil's lies, we start to question the word of God. And often, the characteristics of our response is this. We become discouraged and overwhelmed rather than courageous and full of faith. We become fixated with the situation rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus. We become fearful and anxious rather than at peace and living in freedom. We become passive or indifferent in our relationship with the Lord rather than passionate and intentional. We become desperate to find someone else to blame rather than taking responsibility to find our faith in God and to stand on his word. And even if we do respond, often it's with little faith or little conviction. Why? Because we've forgotten who we are in Jesus. The devil is real. He robs our faith. So what do we do? We must resist him. We must resist him, verse eight and nine. Be alert and of sober mind. Resist him, how? By standing firm in the faith. And again, I wanna get real practical with this. What does that mean? What does it mean to to stand firm in the faith? What does it mean to resist the devil? Firstly, for me, it means to refocus on Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us how we are to run with perseverance. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. By how? By fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And for me, fixing your eyes on Jesus, for me, means means making sure that I'm listening to to worship music, that is uh, songs that are all about the person of Jesus Christ. I loved our worship set this morning because it, it, it declared the, the, the greatness of the God that we serve. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is about worship. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is about prayer. Finding time to, to cry out to Jesus. Finding time to, to, to pray in Jesus' name. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is about reading the word of God. It's about finding those verses that speak about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We must refocus on Jesus. Secondly, we must remember his faithfulness. We must remember his faithfulness. You need to ask yourself the question, friends, when you are faced with a situation, I had this happen literally to me two weeks ago, faced with a situation where you are, where you are feeling that the opposition of the devil and, this, this, and your breakthrough doesn't seem possible, remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Ask the question, how has God revealed his faithfulness to me in the past? Why? He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. What gave, what gave David incredible strength, he, he looked Goliath in the eyes, and, what, and he knew that he would have victory because God had delivered him from the lion and the bear. He knew that God had been faithful in small things so that when he faced giant things, he knew that God was the same, and he knew victory was possible in Jesus. Psalm 77, for me personally, has been such an incredible resource and, verse, and, 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 and passage that I've been spending time in. If you're, if you're struggling to remember God's faithfulness, can I point you to Psalm 77? My wife said to me a few days ago, she said, babe, I, you, you're struggling to, 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 to see God. Read Psalm 77. Psalm 77, just a couple of verses from there. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he show his favor again? Does that sound familiar? To maybe your cry at the moment? But then he goes on to say, David goes on to say, then I thought, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. What must we do? How do we stand firm? We refocus on on Jesus. We remember his faithfulness. Thirdly, we must reassess our situation in the light of who Jesus is. Because you've refocused on Jesus and because you have remembered his faithfulness, you are in a position now where you can reassess the situation in the light of who Jesus is. I want to read a a passage from Romans chapter 8, which I think speaks so powerfully of this. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase again, not because I'm necessarily a huge fan of the message, but because sometimes we can read passages of scripture that are familiar to us and we can forget the impact of the truth. So I'm going to ask you just for a moment, and you can open your eyes again in a few moments, don't fall asleep, but just close your eyes for a second and let this word wash over you if you are facing a challenge right now. Let this word remind you to reassess your situation in the light of who Jesus is. With God on our side, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen who would, dare even, who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, nothing angelic or demonic, nothing today or tomorrow, nothing high. Low. Nothing thinkable or unthinkable. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. That's the truth of God's word. Reassess your situation in the light of who Jesus is. The next one is is simple. We must regroup with others around us. If Philip Christ was here, he would say, attach yourself back to the bunch of bananas. Make sure you attach yourself back to the bunch of bananas. Humble yourself, friends. That's why Peter writes in verse five, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. It takes an incredible amount of humility to go to somebody and to say, I'm struggling. I need your help. Would you pray for me? Can I say this? Please ask the question, would you encourage me? If someone is not encouraging you, ask them, would you please encourage me? Would you send me a text every day for the next week with an encouraging verse that I can stand on because I'm struggling to do so myself? And if you're not struggling right now, can I encourage you to sow some encouragement? Because one day you will want to reap it. When last did you send an encouraging text to somebody after a Sunday meeting? To maybe one of the children's ministry workers who've been caring for your kids downstairs and teaching them. Or someone that you saw who was taking time to set up. Thank you so much for what you've done. So encouragement because that's what we wanna reap. Regroup with others around you. And then last point, the most important points. And with this, I'm gonna land. We must remain standing instead of falling back or retreating. Verse 9 says, Stand firm in the faith. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6 Be strong. How? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, so that you can take your stand. In whom? In the Lord. When evil comes, stand your ground. In whom? In the Lord. And after you've done everything to stand, how? In the Lord. Stand firm then. In the Lord. Friends, spiritual warfare is not about strategies or techniques. Spiritual warfare is about relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. That's what gives us strength. Be strong in the Lord. Know whose you are and know where you are. That's what gives you the strength to stand against the devil. You belong to God and you are found in the person of Jesus Christ. So, when we fight, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from the place of victory because we're in Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It can can sound a little kind of harsh. Be strong in the Lord. Okay, great. Well, how? How how do do I do that? If you look at the Greek, it it actually, a better translation is, is be strengthened in the Lord. And so I was asking myself, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be strengthened in the Lord? And I think Psalm 46 tells us, be still and know that I am God. Be still. The New American Standard does a wonderful job of translating that phrase, be still. Literally, it says this in the New American Standard. Not be still and know that I am God, relax. Stop striving and know that I am God. I love that, Relax. Stop striving, be still and know that I am God. That that same Hebrew word in the negative context is used by Samuel when when he is speaking to Saul. Samuel had given Saul the instruction to destroy the Amalekites and Saul decided to take the best of the Amalekite army and keep them for himself. For, for himself, so when Samuel comes to rebuke him, Saul is standing before Samuel, and he's, he's trying to justify why he did what he did, well, you know, I thought this would be a good idea, and I, you know, I, I did partly, and eventually Samuel says, be still, stop, relax, Stop what you're doing. And can I suggest, that's what God says to us in the midst of a struggle. In the midst of a struggle, when the devil is against us and we don't know where to turn and people are speaking badly about us and we're trying to justify our response, God needs to say to us, stop, be still, and know that I am God. Know that that what that person says about you is not the final word on the situation. Know that what the devil is doing to you is not the final situation. I am God. I am the Lord. I am working all things for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose, God says to us. Stop. Be still. And can I suggest, if you are not a Christ follower here today, that is not just vital to understand for warfare. It is the essence of the gospel. Jesus is saying to you, stop striving to prove yourself to me. Stop working so hard to try and clean yourself up, to get yourself in a position where I'm ready to accept you. I accept you for as you are. Stop, be still, relax. Stop striving. I have paid the price, God says. I've paid the price through the death and resurrection of my son, Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not my strength. Not my power, not my ability, not my victory, but the victory of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, Proverbs uh, Proverbs 8, I think it is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. The devil is real. And if you don't know it, opposition is is inevitable. He robs our faith. He robs our faith by trying to elicit our agreement with his lies. So we must resist him. We resist him by standing strong, by, by, by being still, by knowing that God has provided a way, by being strong in his mighty power. Warfare is not about strategies. It's about relationship with Jesus. It's about fighting from the place of victory, not in the hope of achieving victory. What I wanna do this morning, we've got another few moments left before we finish the meeting. Aiden would you mind coming up? Um, we're going to provide an opportunity for us to respond. There are many of us I know who are going through difficult times. Many of us who are facing the opposition of the devil at the very moment. This is not something hypothetical or this is not something theoretical. This is something that many of us are facing right now. And there are two exhortations in particular that I just felt the Lord highlight to me. One is the importance of not isolating ourselves in times of difficulty or in times of opposition. For us to, to find the strength and the courage in Jesus to, to humble ourselves and to, and to say, I need people around me to pray for me and to encourage me. And the second thing is the reality of the fact that we are called to stand in the Lord. And sometimes standing in the Lord is not just, a, again, a theoretical concept, but, but something that we need to physically do as an act of faith and as an act of, of a prophetic declaration that we are trusting God to bring breakthrough and wholeness. In a few moments, in about a minute or so, when I'm finished talking, I'm gonna invite you, if you are going through a difficult time, if you are going through if you are in the face of opposition right now from the devil in about a minute I'm going to ask you to be brave not for my sake but but to stand as a declaration that you are saying I need friends to pray for me and I want to take my stand in the Lord and as you stand elders, deacons and those who are on the ministry team I've prepped you already as the moment people stand can I ask that you go and begin to pray over them begin to lay hands on them, and to begin to ask God to move in power upon their lives. I know that's a challenge. I know it's, it's a big ask. I know it's a vulnerable thing to do, to stand, to say, I, I'm going through a hard time. But honestly, friends, I, I, as I've been praying for this morning, I believe it is, it, 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 is, it is something the devil wants us to do to, to, to hold us back from making that declaration this morning. So if that's you, if you're saying, Steve, I am in the middle of a battle. I need people around me to pray for me. I want to take my stand in the Lord. If that's you, can I ask you to be brave and stand right now? alright as people are standing please can I ask for others to gather around begin to gather around lay hands on them please friends let's begin to pray if you are not standing if you are not praying for someone Aiden is going to continue to lead us in a song of worship so we're going to be able to worship we're going to be able to pray and just take five minutes we're going to take five minutes this morning and trust for God to do amazing things in hearts and lives. Can you please begin to pray for friends? Has everyone, has everyone got someone praying for them? Is there anyone who doesn't have someone praying for them? Pekka Michelle, I'll look. Uh, here we go. Pekka Michelle. Dave Foster, would you mind praying for Eric over there? Thanks. Has everyone got somebody? At the back, Ian and Amanda, can you pray for us? Saf, and... All right. Begin to pray, begin to minister. Begin to release the life of God. Begin to ask for God to make himself known in these situations. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.